The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, my name's Maureen Metcalf, and you're listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organization. Welcome to today's show. We're featuring Robin Lincoln Wood, uh, and I'm delighted that he is joining us. He is a renowned strategist, futurist, communicator, and agent of transformation. He spent three decades working at the board level with the world's leading organizations in 35 countries and on four continents. He's deeply skilled in designing and catalyzing major shifts in large-scale systems and inspiring and empowering the teams that deliver those changes. Robin's mission is to catalyze and support leaders, organizations, and innovations that co-create a thriving global future. He does this as a keynote speaker, consultant to leader, and a founder and leader of the Thrivability Foundation and Consortium. Today we're going to talk about the Thrivability Framework that Robin created. It's an exceptional tool to consider what is required for us as leaders to create a thriving future. And if you think back to the first show and Susan Cannon's discussion of trends that we're going to face between now and 2050, Robin's framework is really one of the probably the best I've ever seen in helping us think about what do we do as leaders to move us from where we are now to, to successfully transition through the changes we're going to face. So uh, as usual, we want to talk about the Voice America series, providing valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders to help you lead your organizations in the dynamic times that we're facing. And to do that uh, as highly effective leaders. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, Robin and I and our other guests, we invite you to find one or two things in each week's segment that you can practice in your own organization, either your family or your work, to apply to become more effective. So, so as we talk about the environment is changing, how do we as leaders maintain our edge and continue to build skills and we do that by experimenting with new behaviors on an ongoing basis. If the world is changing at the rate that we believe it is, then we as the leaders influencing organizations need to be changing at at least the same rate. So what I'd like you to leave with today is a clear understanding of the thrivability framework and also how you might take some of Robin's insights and apply them specifically in your life as experiments. 
So, Robin, let's shift to you. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background and then share the uh, Thriveability framework with our listeners? Well, thank you, Maureen. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and, and uh, your listeners. And um, I'm hoping today we can take this framework and, as you say, make it practically applicable in, in the lives uh, and careers of, of our listeners today. The, the key to survivability really uh, started for me, ironically, about 40 years ago, uh, believe it or not, when I was um, uh, junior mayor of Santon, which uh, became famous when they held the, uh, the IPCC gathering there in 2006. And um, basically, we had a campaign called Keep Santon Clean, Green and Serene. This was 1973. And we planted 10,000 trees amongst other many, many other things. Uh, using music, for example, and band competitions to uh, raise money. And, and, and we, I saw the power of youth. And, and, well, I saw the power of anybody at any age, quite frankly, who had a vision and wanted to do something different or better and could enroll other people. In this case, it was tens of thousands of people. And at that young age, it just blew me away because I, I realized, you know, with the right vision, and the right strategy and the right people around you supporting you, you can do just about anything you want. Anything's possible. So that began my, my career, if you like. About the same time, uh, 40 years ago, the Club of Rome published a, a pretty hefty document called Limits to Growth, which I'm sure many of the readers will be familiar with. And it said, basically, we can't keep on growing global economy forever. Uh, we're hitting limits, and we're hitting many at the same time. And today we have... Uh, or not only had a, a recent um, scientific review of that limits to growth report, which pretty much said those people were pretty accurate, even with those old-fashioned computer systems back in 1972-73. And not only that, but the person who was key to that whole project, in addition to Professor Jay Forrester at MIT, was somebody called Donella Meadows, or Donna. And Donna basically, over the decades since that report came out, learned and began to sort of evangelize the fact that the key to this whole thing is mindset. In other words, if you can shift the mindset of the decision makers and the leaders, nothing will ever be the same again. And that's absolutely been the case in any field of human activity. Um, so how do you do that? Because that's the first thing in strivability is you start with mindset. You can have everything else in place, but without mindset shifts, as I think many of the listeners will perhaps confirm in their own experience, you don't get the follow through in the behavior and the implementation of the strategy. And that means a misalignment combined with a number of blockages in your organization, which mean you don't deliver what you set up when you began. Um, and that is incredibly frustrating for any leader. And most leaders have big visions. There's no doubt about it. I've never met a leader without a vision. It, I don't think you can be a leader without a vision. But the problem is in terms of being able to get that alignment in your organization and then being able to drive that through. So survivability looks at the world from that very hard, practical perspective. It's not about creating a little, you know, sort of corner of paradise sometime in the future with the, you know, following the wind kind of thinking. It's a very hard, realistic management approach to leading an organization to be what we call a regenerative, inclusive business. 
And a regenerative inclusive business model is essentially one which is resilient and even anti-fragile. As many of you have probably come across the work of Nassim Taleb, who wrote the book Anti-Fragile and the book Black Swan, the biggest danger for businesses today is not the risks that they know about. It's the ones they can't see coming. And the problem is the nature of the risks we're facing today, as Maureen explained earlier, and as many of you know from just reading the daily press, um, is that we can't predict half of the things coming down the, the pike at us today. Therefore, how, how do we design and build an anti-fragile organization? That's really the heart of what we're thinking about in survivability. So I could go on, but that's, that's kind of a, a very brief introduction to myself, Maureen, um, and why survivability is my passion since the last uh, five or so years. And um, you know, let, let me throw it back to you for the next question. Perfect. Thank you. And so Robin and I were talking before the call about the, the challenges we face in our global uh, world and why this framework is so necessary now. So again, this ties a little bit to Susan's futurist work, if you listen to our session in July. But I wanted Robin to explain a little further why this and why now. Well, let's start with why this. Um, we are overshooting four of the nine planetary boundaries critical to the survival of life on Earth, put it simply. As many of you know, in Paris at the end of this year, the IPCC and Kyoto called the 194 governments, heads of state uh, from around the world, will be meeting to discuss what we're going to do about this because our species probably has maximum of 100 years left of life on Earth if we continue the way we are, because we're heading towards a four to six degree warming scenario, which will ex make extinct 90% of life on Earth, including us. And that's just the science, folks. I'm not making this up. It's scary as hell at one level, but at another level, this is the world's single biggest business opportunity that's ever existed. So, from a business perspective, I've always said that, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And right now, the going's getting tough, and it's going to get tougher. So the question is for, for leaders out there, whatever business or industry you're in, you're going to have to do two things. The first is to, to radically review your business model to see how resilient or anti-fragile you can make it now before the proverbial hits the fan. And number two, you're going to have to look at uh, very carefully and understand specifically in your industry and in your local communities where you operate uh, exactly how this climate change and all the other things that are associated with it, the global weirding and the crazy weather and the, the sea level rises and the storms and the, you know, the, the changes in the way species are operating now and, and, and having to adapt to the, the warming that's already with us. So those two things are going to be a key part of your business strategy. You may as well get used to it. Okay, so you might ask, what do I do next? Well, that's why now. Because right now we have probably 10 to 15 years before 2030 to head off anything beyond a two-degree warming scenario. Now, the experts say we can probably, and the emphasis on probably, it's a 60% probability, it's not guaranteed, we can probably adapt to two-degree warming scenario. 
Probably. <laughs> Let's hope we can. This is going to rely on us being highly innovative, more innovative than we've ever been as a species and as leaders. So starting with yourself and, you know, with me and everybody else on this call, you know, thrivability starts with you and me. That's our first principle. So the point is, are you thrivable as a leader? Are you walking the talk of thrivability? Or are you simply talking? Because nobody's going to follow a talker. Uh, and this isn't going to be an easy journey, right? It's, it's a tough road we're going down. But it's also exciting because the winners are going to be extraordinarily successful and the losers are going to be many. The only question is, which camp are you going to fall into? So, Robin, what, when you say, are you thrivable as a leader, can you describe what that would look like? I'll give you a simple example. I was living in London um, until about 12, 13 years ago. I looked at my lifestyle, which wasn't a very high-impact lifestyle, but I thought, you know what, living in a big city, I don't have to live in a big city with a footprint of somebody in a big city to do what I do. So I looked for somewhere I could live in a sustainable way with wind and solar and stuff, yeah, to prove that I could live a better lifestyle, i.e. be more thrivable, that with less impact, yeah? So my, my, my footprint in natural and manufactured capital terms now is a lot less than what it was 12 years ago. I may not be, let's say, totally regenerative yet because that's very difficult in any part of the world, but that's my goal is that I personally walk the talk and that the businesses I run and the people that work with me and my stakeholders are effectively thrivable. Um, now, I, not everybody can move somewhere else. I understand that. But even in a city, you can, you can be thrivable in a big city. No question about it. It just takes a little effort. And you have to care. If you don't care, well, you know, forget it. You're, you're not going to make this. And, but nobody will follow you either because they'll look at you and say you're a hypocrite. And let me, let me tell you, if you haven't met them already, the millennial generation have got a bullshit detector on them that beats anything I've ever seen. And they will not, <laughs> they will just not want to work for you. 60, 70% of them now will not work for a company they don't believe in. So what do you mean regenerative? Because I think you're using words that we may use differently across populations. Well, let's just take a simple example. Every day you regenerate your body by eating and drinking food and, 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 and liquids, right? Mm-hmm. If you didn't regenerate your body every day, you'd be dead in a week. That's kind of blindingly obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what is a regenerative business? Well, a regenerative business is one that operates within the limits of its ecosystems. Yeah. So it, it's, it's not um, destroying uh, the, 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 the actual natural capital that gives it life. Let's take an example. Um, agriculture, great example. Uh, what's happened in the world today with soil? Well, we've hit peak soil. In other words, there's, there are d- diminishing returns on how much chemical you can pump into the ground to produce greater output. Yeah, that's, we've hit the limits actually quite a while ago. Number two is that the soil is no longer absorbing carbon dioxide. It's letting, releasing it, which is deadly. Thank you. So what we're finding is that 
um, you know, farming, farmers all around the world are getting reduced outputs from traditional methods, industrial farming methods. However, the ones who've switched to the new methods are actually not only absorbing CO2 and putting more carbon back in the soil where it belongs, not in the air. Number two, they're, they're, they're enabling the organisms in the soil that help plants absorb nutrients and be tastier and healthier and, you know, generally just mm-hmm. more, more of it as well. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that's, that's regenerative. They're creating a future for themselves. Degenerating something is, is eliminating your future. Putting it simply. And so, so this distinction of am I regenerating or degenerating is the first principle, yes? Absolutely, because you can only degenerate for so long before you, you die or go out of business. And so this is also a business differentiator. Absolutely, the number one. Okay, so we're going to go to break right now. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Robin Lincoln-Wood listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And when we come back, we will go through the additional five elements of Robin's thrivability model. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Robin Lincoln-Wood talking about the Thrivability Framework. And there are six decimal Desiderata, Robin, help me. Um, yeah, um, they're, the framework. Desi- they're, they're desires and, and desirable. 
So uh, it's the old Latin word for desiderata, which is the things you desire. Okay, thank you. So six desiderata of the Thrivability Framework. So let's spend the next 15 minutes or so talking about what those look like. Well, great. Thanks, Thanks, Marina. And, and in fact, what we were talking about in our first segment of the regenerative business, an anti-fragile, resilient business, and that starting with the leader yourself uh, and your team, of course, um, is based in, in the idea that we have, there are limits to what we can do with the natural capital we have. Of course, there's no limit to the imagination and innovation we can, we can generate to do things completely differently in that area. And um, some of the listeners may have come across Cradle to Cradle, which is a great example of what we call a circular economy approach, which is our first desiderata. So a circular regenerative economy is the exact opposite of the one we have now. The economy we have right now takes uh, 98%, well, let me start by saying that, that basically our economy starts with the primary industries which dig holes in the ground or cut down forests or take stuff out of the sea, right? And um, sadly, they are doing a really bad job at regenerating any of that so that we're losing. We've lost half the, half the creatures in the ocean in the last 20 years. We've lost more than half of the rainforests, which are the lungs of the planet. And we're losing a whole lot of other stuff all over the show, which is, is um, you know, even too depressing to get into. So we've got to stop. That's crazy. We're, we're destroying the biosphere that's giving life to us and our businesses. So what do we got to do? We've got to stop taking, you know, when we take that stuff out the ground or the cut those forests or those fish, 98% of that stuff ends up in some other holes on the other side of the planet two years later. There's only 2% of what we take out that's left. That is a called a, a, a you know, take, make, and, and uh, you know, dispose economy. It's not sustainable. It's not regenerative. So how do you, how do you regenerate that? Well, there's a, there's a fantastic movement at the moment called the circular economy movement. The cradle to cradle is a, a good example of that. I'll give you one simple story. Uh, Jochen Zeitz, a young dynamic marketing genius, took over Puma when it was in bad shape. Puma makes running shoes like Nike and Adidas and a lot of other people. He said, you know what? Uh, I want to understand what our impact is on on the environment, just, uh, you know, how do we calculate that? So you've got some scientists and people and NGOs involved. They worked out that the cow was the single biggest impact in the sportswear industry. Wow, the cow. Why? Because most of the stuff is made out of leather or leather derivatives. What's the leather come from? It comes from cows, which are very bad for the uh, environment, by the way, uh, the way that they're farmed at the moment. Secondly, uh, you have tanning, which is a toxic industry. It's very, very toxic. So groundwater, you know, you name it, leather tanning is, is a killer. Uh, so what, what, what was the outcome of this whole story? Well, they measured everything. They created something called an environmental profit and loss account. They said, what, what is this costing nature? Are we net positive or are we actually negative in our impact? They discovered if they removed the cow, they could be positive. How did they do that? Well, they worked with Nike and a few other companies to design different plastics and different ingredients for running shoes and all the other things, you know, soccer boots and you name it, uh, that enabled them to have a, a biodegradable running shoe that after six months in the ground turned into compost. 
Amazing, right? But that would wow. never have happened. Yeah. And they've done a lot more since then. These companies, the running shoes you're putting on now aren't killing the environment anymore if you buy the right ones, the right brands, yeah, if you care. And the th fact is they're becoming just better running shoes. Yeah? They're being designed now, so they're actually absorbing shock and giving you more lift and doing all the things good running shoes do. So here we have a wonderful cameo example of, of, of somebody saying, what is it costing us? Using that as a constraint to drive breakthroughs. And in fact, Jochen was featured recently in, in a book which Richard Branson wrote the forward to that I, I love very much called you know, Breakthrough Capitalism. Um, our book, A Leader's Guide to Thriveability, features 50 of those leaders. So we call them thriveability leaders. And Jochen's one of them. And we know him. And Richard Branson's another one of them. And we have, we have lots of examples in the book of amazing stories like this, which just make your head turn and go, wow. Yeah, exactly. So that's the first thing. The second part of that is that um, you're able to measure what we call the multiple capitals, the six capitals your business depends on. It depends on financial and intellectual capital, number one. You know that if you run out of cash, you're dead. We all know that. That's yeah, leading to death, right? So any entrepreneur or business person worth their salt has to take care of financial capital needs. Number two, intellectual capital, you have to have some unique uh, knowledge, some kind of know-how that makes you different from your competitors. Number three, um, you've obviously got to have natural capital. You can't operate a business, you know, without land and, and the community that lives <laughs> in houses that have gardens and forests hopefully nearby and you know, places to go to be in nature. Um, and you're probably going to need raw materials and resources that come from nature. So question is, what is the carrying capacity of the environments you're using to generate your raw materials and source them? And how, how long can they sustain you in your business? Or like Jochen Zeitz in Puma, can you find other ways to innovate so that you don't depend on cows anymore to make great products? Um, so, so innovation seems to be a thread throughout everything you're talking about, that, w that we're creating new materials and new business models because as leaders we have a new mindset. Absolutely. It's all about, it all starts with mindset. If you don't shift your own mindset, if you don't open yourself up to new information and new opportunities, you're just not going to hear about this, right? You're not, and your stakeholders might surprise you in how well-informed they are about some of this stuff, yeah? Your suppliers, your customers, your distributors, your business partners, um, your employees. Uh, you just have to open up to, you know, and I start asking questions. Like Jochen did. That's all Jochen did. He asked the question, what's this costing nature? You know, he didn't even ask what's it, what's it costing people because obviously there's a social cost that we're imposing in places like China and Thailand and Indonesia and other places where people are working for next to nothing can barely feed their families, right? And, and their, their social impacts as well and human rights impacts and so on. So, so this brings us to the second of the key desiderata, which is what we call long-term resource planning for intergenerational equity. So we have to begin to think like those good old Indians used to do, the seventh generation, I think it is, right? So what, what impact will this have on the seventh generation and beyond? Are our products, services, technologies, and business models designed for durability to continue serving future generations? If you can say yes and tick that box, 
you're already on the journey, what we call the thrivability journey. And that's laid out again in the book, A Leader's Guide to Thrivability, very clearly. We have many examples of how companies have gone from being poisonous to industry leaders that are almost regenerative. Interface Carpets is another great example, again, in the book. Ray Anderson, famous for that story about how he realized he'd go to jail if he didn't change his business model. He said, in the future, leaders like me will be in jail. And he, wow. and he yeah, gave himself 10 years to, you know, be in jail because he said, I, you know, this is just what we're doing is, is immoral. <laughs> we're poisoning people. And our carpets are poisonous. By the way, did you know that? That carpets, carpets used to be highly toxic. The materials and the ingredients in them were really deadly. Anyway, that's another story. Luckily, the industry's changed for the better in the last 20 years. So the second point is about the seventh generation theme. And that innovations are inspired by natural systems and by engineers, designers, entrepreneurs, and others working with the grain of nature, which is totally doable. Biomimicry is a great example. Uh, there's a whole science of studying how nature works and how you can work with and not against nature. So when you work with natural systems, they, they do you the favor of, of absorbing things that now they like rather than dislike you know, and, and are killed by. So working with nature is definitely the biggest win of all because nature uh, is way bigger than us. There's no way we can exist without it and or uh, you know, if you work against it, it eventually gets you. So those are our first two principles around what we'd call regeneration of natural and manufactured capitals. And seeing manufactured capital itself, like those biodegradable running shoes, as a part of the solution. In other words, it's not bad to be a manufacturer or make stuff or whatever. It's good. But it's the way you make it, how you source it, how you deliver it, and how it's used. That's the key, which brings us to some of our next points in the, the six uh, desiderata. Okay, so then the, what is the third point? I think that's where, we're, where we are. Yeah. So we're looking at third point being, um, well, how do we help create a transparent level global playing field that delivers true future value? Because everybody's going to say, yeah, but you know, I've got my accountants and I've got my lawyers and I've got my, my, my regulator and my industry, this and that and the other, my competitors. That's all very well talking about this wonderfully um, desirable innovation and, you know, working with nature, et cetera. But it's not a level playing field, right? I've got to compete against people in sweatshops in China, e.g., yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, in a bigger company that's listed on the stock exchange, I've got to explain to my investors, you know, why I'm putting this money into this new program here that might not, you know, it's risky. It's, 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 it's not guaranteed. So, so the first of the part of that third principle is to apply true accounting principles that measure true costs, including externalities, meaning to the environment and, and, and social externalities, that calculate true returns with full transparency, which is exactly what Jochen Zeitz did. He said, we're going to put in place an environmental profit and loss account, yeah, just the environment. Now they have a social profit and loss account. So they're measuring not just environmental or natural capital, but social capital and human capital in their equation. And the key to thrivability is you want to maximize the thriving of the human and social capital and your relationship capital with all your key stakeholders. The evidence is now out that suggests that for the first time, we can see the dividend in share price. Yeah, published just a month ago by Reputation yeah. Dividend. 
you can see the impact on share prices, superior share price built in of sustainable or resilient companies. So it's good for business. It's good for your share price. Well, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, well, unless you just don't care. I mean, maybe you don't. Maybe you want to play golf. But the fact is, if you do care and you actually want a business in 10 to 20 years time, then you're going to have to be part of the players who create that transparent level global playing field. And that also means you've got to lobby government. You've got to collaborate with your competitors to some extent. You've got to collaborate with all your stakeholders to say, let's level the playing field towards renewable and regenerative business models and products. And that also requires a better system of taxation and incentives. The government has to help. The renewable energy industry would never have got off the ground, solar and wind, uh, without some kind of incentives. Just like the fossil fuel industry 100 years ago got massive incentives. Sadly, fossil fuels still gets the same crazy incentives when we don't want it, when what we want is more of renewable energy. Yeah. So we've got to, we've got to collaborate. That's the third principle around the level playing field principle. It does sound overwhelming if, as a business leader, I'm just trying to get through the day, um, stay in business, pay everyone I need to pay, make my customers happy, deliver a profit. And this seems like a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a 10 to 20 year project. Consider, okay. this the rest, consider this the rest of your life. It's the only way you can look at it. If you, if you were doing this to try and, you know, make a quick buck in the next year, forget it. Okay. That's, that's not how it works. Um, it's, it's called the purpose-driven business, right? Mm-hmm. And increasingly, as we said earlier, millennials and others are coming in the workforce today. 60 to 70% of them are going to be looking for companies which meet their need for purpose and meaning. And they, that they believe are good businesses and that are sustainable. That's just hard facts. That's just research. That's, that's what they're looking to do. So at some point, what I'm doing now to be profitable and successful and meet my customers' needs, you're telling me is just going to be insufficient. And if I don't start making these shifts incrementally now, I won't have to worry about it later because somebody else will have done it. Well, and, and I won't be in business. Yeah, you're going to have to pivot, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew Winston at Harvard uh, has published uh, something called Pivot Goals, and they're on the internet, actually. You can look at all the leading companies in the world, from Google to, to whoever, yeah? And you can see there are about 500 different pivot goals, which shows you how they pivoted in every single aspect of mm-hmm. their activity to do exactly what I'm saying right now. So what I'm talking about isn't some kind of advice to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the choir, right? Um, this is for the whole damn conversation right now. We don't have the time, actually, not to do it. So the, the smartest businesses on the planet are already doing this. The question is, what are you, what are you doing? Because <laughs> they're going to be either one of your customers or suppliers or partners or something at some time in the future, and they're setting the pace. And, and so that's probably what I needed to hear, right, is that people are doing it. They're figuring out how to make it work. And the, the flip side, so that's the vision. It can work. And, and the flip side is if I don't do it, 
it, it becomes so dire that then I really risk my business staying viable long term. Absolutely. Look, uh, let's just be frank, Maureen. Uh, you know, 99.9% of all organizations that have, have ever been listed on a, a stock exchange are now extinct. Okay. Yeah, which, in, the last, yeah. in the last century. There, there's no such thing as ongoing business success. It doesn't exist. I mean, GE's eco-imagination program is the biggest single revenue generator in General Electric. Yeah? And that was because Jack Welsh got out and Jeffrey Hinnell came in and he decided he needed to do this. Yeah? What I'm talking about right now. And he's now got one of the world's most renewable, regenerative, anti-fragile businesses, thanks to that. Cool. So let's get a break, and then we'll come back and do the final three, Desiderata. This is Maureen Metcalf and Robin Lincolnwood, and the show is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Hi, welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with our esteemed guest, Robin Lincoln Wood, talking about thrivability. So, Robin, we have three de- desidratas left. Uh, let's go to number uh, number four. Well, thanks, Maureen. Yeah, we've, we've basically um, covered what I might call, the, as you, you put it quite rightly, quite challenging environment we're in and the things we have to do and that it's, it's not business as usual anymore, right? So now the last three desiderata really address the question of, well, as you as a leader, what, what do you have to do uh, to, to, to get those first three uh, to be true? You know, the conditions for you to have a resilient, anti-fragile business going forward for generations. Yeah. And, and that's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's, what's the point of just trying to make a buck for next year? Right? It's exciting, but well. it's also kind of scary. And thinking yeah. that I'm going to have to do things entirely differently, and I'm didn't not sure American, what that looks like. Didn't you all get on wagons and, and, and ride out uh, into the middle of nowhere? <laughs> I didn't personally do that, though. Didn't, That's didn't my your point. ancestors <laughs> do that? My Somebody ancestors did. South Africa, man. My ancestors in South Africa literally got out there in the ox wagons and went over the mountains with them. Anyway, um, but... The Americans of all people should understand this. I mean, North Americans, let's give the Canadians a bit of a boost here as well. <laughs> and the Mexicans, despite Donald Trump. So let's move on to, <laughs> yeah, what a guy, hey, fool. Yeah. Okay, um, the billionaire to embarrass all other billionaires. He really is. Anyway, so strategic decision-making to scale up to thrivable sectors. So what we're talking about here is how do you nurture multi-stakeholder collaboration to amplify and scale up the positive impacts of what you can do with your innovation. And secondly, what are the investment decisions you need to make based on what we're calling the survivability index, which is a way of you know, getting onto a Bloomberg terminal. And uh, we've been to the people who use these Bloomberg terminals around the world, and they basically said, including Bloomberg themselves in New York, that they want to see a simple way to measure a thrivable business. Yeah. Because today, they use something called environmental, social, and governance reporting, or ESG, or socially responsible investment. You've probably heard of that. Or ethical investment. So investors are looking at your business. Venture capitalists, by the way, are smarter than most of the people on Wall Street. They have to be, because they're expecting a much higher return from their investment. They have to, because they make much riskier investments. So whether you're getting a business angel, a venture capitalist, whatever, Believe me, I've started many businesses and I've been there and I've been an angel uh, myself. Um, You're dealing with risk. And so you've got to be able to tell the story of how what you're doing is going to have these positive impacts and how your stakeholders and your organization are going to align around that or, or are already aligning around those programs and investments you're making. Again, not business as usual at all. But then... You know, if you're going to do this, I'm not saying this is for everybody. Not everybody wants to be thrival, but we may be talking about 10 or 20% max, you know, of, of hmm. senior level executives at this point in time. But I'm also hoping I'm talking to some people on this call who are entrepreneurial, who are mavericks, who are change agents, who like stirring things up, who like disrupting, yeah, who are not prepared to take second best or yeah, that's good enough, right? You say, no, why shouldn't it just be bad? Why shouldn't it be great? Why shouldn't it be exciting? Why shouldn't, you know, I hate people mentioning Steve Jobs all the time because it's like, and not a magic bullet uh, doing what Steve Jobs did, by the way, because uh, very few people could ever replicate what he did. Forget that. But the fact is, 
The example of Steve Jobs is used all the time to tell people you can do it differently, right? Follow your passion, etc. And this is a kind of a practical way to do that, which is not only selfish, it's actually serving others and helping others, which is the best way to create a business that endures, is that others are beneficially impacted. So this is very much about decision, uh, strategic decision-making, the zero out of four, and how you scale that up. So that's not just your business, but your industry that's actually delivering that. And then finally, so let's, let's turn to the next generations a bit and to yourself, because as a business leader, you're continuously educating and learning yourself. You, you have to develop yourself. And in particular, in this next phase of the evolution of business, you're going to have to develop your complex systems thinking and leadership capabilities to a level you've never dreamt of before. But trust me, it's possible. And a lot of the people who've talked in the show already have probably talked about many of these things. Um, but if you want to drive a new open business model that actually integrates physical well-being, mental depth, emotional maturity, and spiritual development, and all wrap that all up in a beautiful big bow and get a customer to, to be delighted by it, then you're going to need yourself to become the leader you've always wanted to be. Yeah. Hey, and that's, let me be the first person to admit I'm human. I have made so many mistakes. It pains me, you know, in my career. <laughs> when I look back at the things I did when I was 25 or 35 or 45, I go, ouch. <laughs> that was really dumb. How could you do that? Well, the answer is, you know, you don't, not just learn from success, but how do you get success? You learn from failure, yeah? Um, so we've all had our successes and failures. Let's be honest with ourselves and each other. The way to develop is to, to acknowledge that, to unlearn the things that don't work and to learn the new things. That's, that's always been the case. Um, the thing is that it's become more urgent now than it's ever been. And there's nothing like urgency to really drive people to kind of get off, um, you know, get up from their chair and actually get on to making it happen. So the second part of this whole educational and developmental side is developing others. So you've got to create developmental pathways based on co-working and co-creation between the different disciplines and sectors that are necessary for you to create a compelling business model for, for yourself and for future generations. Something that excites people. Why is Apple share price currently giving it a market cap of six to $800 billion, depending on the day of the week? Well, the answer is because Apple's perceived to be a generation-proof business. In other words, future generations are going to be buying Apple products well into the you know, next decade. They'd have to because otherwise that valuation makes no sense at all. Because guess what? 80% of that valuation is not based on assets or money or anything. It's based on reputation and human and social capital and intellectual capital. Yeah? And the biggest thing yeah, I've pointed that out in the book, by the way. I've got a case study on Apple in the Leader's Guide to Thrivability. And I challenge Apple. I challenge them. I lay down a challenge to Tim Cook and his team. Basically, they're not a sustainable business right now. The rate at which they're using rare earth minerals and all sorts of other ingredients, raw materials, yeah, to make mobile phones that are thrown away in a disposable cycle of two years maximum is not a sustainable business model. So here's the, here's the gauntlet I'm throwing down to him and his team is 
use the thrivability framework and you can design, and I've shown them how to do it, design a business model. But of course, um, the people in Apple actually in Europe got excited about that, but they weren't too sure how that would play in Palo Alto stroke um, Cupertino, uh, wherever the new head office is going to be. But um, it's, um, it's there in the book and it's worth taking a look at because th that market cap right now, from my perspective, is overvalued. Yeah. I, I would want to see signs that Apple really understands what we're talking about. And Lisa Jackson, the new head of uh, sustainability for Apple, ex-EPA head, Lisa will probably be, you know, thinking about these things as I'm sure she does and, and looking for opportunities to do something different. So um, Lisa, if you're listening to this show, um, please take a look at the book and then and I'd love to see what you think. So that's the principle number five, developing yourself and your people and your organization to handle complex system thinking and leadership. And that's the kind of work that we're doing as well with even the leadership mindset piece that we've been talking about in our first show and, and we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks. So I think our work is in that way pretty well aligned. Absolutely. This is the key driver because if leadership is not available to do this, who's going to do it? You know, where's it going to come from? It, it would be lovely to think that everything could happen bottom up, but I doubt it. That's yeah, certainly having, not the way history works. Yeah, having know? worked in a lot of organizations, if the leadership doesn't support it, eventually it will die. Yep, exactly. exactly. So final desiderata is that your governance systems have to be aligned to inclusive stakeholder well-being. So what does that mean in practice? It's a lot of words there, right? Well, is your organization potentially radically inclusive and transparent? Can people see what's going on? I know you've had holacracy and you know, a lot of other themes on, in your various shows before this one. Um, and one of the advantages of those new approaches is that they do tend towards transparency, though I haven't actually seen any proof that they're more transparent than the old business models yet. I'd like to see that, but you know what I'm saying is the jury's out. Yeah, whether Tony uh, CA at, uh, at Zappos is actually creating a transparent governance structure, you know, because I got a feeling he's getting paid a hell of a lot more money, like by a factor of several hundred, than his lowest paid employee. Yeah, and that's not inclusive. That's exclusive capitalism, and that ain't going to fly for much longer either. Because the history shows that when you get to a certain level of disparity between the highest paid and the lowest paid, the system collapses. That's what the, the, the history of the last 3,000 years demonstrates. Uh, you know, it happened in Rome, it happened in Greece, it's going to happen to America, and it could happen in Europe. Who knows? Although the ratios are very much lower in Europe because uh, it's a bit more, as Bernie likes to call it, socialist. But... Um, <laughs> I just love your American politics, by the way. <laughs> it's so the most for entertaining people, show that beats anything on television. <laughs> so for listeners who don't know, Robin's living in France. <laughs> and by the way, they're equally crazy over here. All politicians have to be, by definition, crazy. I mean, you know, who would want that job? Not me. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> kind of does, goes against the, the direction we're describing here in terms of transparency and inclusion and and everything else that you know. Okay, so so governance systems, let's get back to that. You're a business leader. You have a board of directors, presumably. 
or some sort of structure, even if you're a B Corp, there's a governance system. There's a feedback that says, how well are we doing? What could we do better? Yeah. And that's the point of governance is, is being able to self-steer yourself towards thrivability and, and stakeholder well-being. Um, so you have to continually make decisions in that governance system and, and, and your priorities and your investments and the pathways you create to the future through those are really your key role. That's your number one job, right, as a leader. And to do that, you've got to build in structures and approaches to make sure that the way you work with all your stakeholders, governments, NGOs, you name it, um, employee groups, uh, trade unions, uh, customer groups, uh, user groups, whatever, uh, suppliers, going all the way back up to the tier three suppliers and even the raw material people. Um, you need to make sure that that whole system is a thriving system for as long as possible. That's your job. And that's the job of governance. It, it, it's always been the job of governance. It always will be. It doesn't matter what system you use. Yeah. And you will be judged by that. And you, you and I know that. And the investors know that. And the markets know that. And, and that's the thing that keeps us awake at night a lot of the time, too. Because we know that just like the chairman of Volkswagen today or the CEO who just resigned. Yeah. Why did he resign? Because the, the value of Volkswagen shares dropped by 20% today. Why did it do that? Well, if you've been reading the news, they put in software in their cars that fakes well, it creates special conditions and emissions tests <laughs> that are not linked to the, the actual performance on the road so that they can get their cars through the emissions tests in Europe and the States, and they now face an $18 billion lawsuit. That happened in a week. That all happened from everything being peachy at Volkswagen to today where the guy resigned. This is a world, folks, where you can't get away with bad governance, right? There's nowhere to hide, even in small companies today. Just nowhere to hide. So I know that sounds slightly negative, but on the positive side, think about it this way. If you really embrace this, if you really go for it, you get your people on board and you align your organization around this, you will have a brilliant, fantastic, exciting business to work in 10, 20, 30 years from now. You'll be able to leave something to future generations you're proud of. Now, isn't that something worth living for and being a leader for? So I'm going to shift to closing. Robin, thank you so much. There are six Daisy Dratas. They are on the blog, uh, www.metcalf-associates.com blog. Uh, you can read more about the specific details. Uh, you can also pick up a copy of Robin's book. And Robin, why don't you tell us the title of it again? It's called A Leader's Guide to Thriveability. And the subtitle is a multi-capital operating system for a regenerative, inclusive economy. And, and it's basically a guide, a guide for, for people like you listening to this program on how to, how to get out there and make this happen. Do you also have a website you would like to point people to? Yeah. Uh, if you go to www.thriveability.org, or sorry, not org, dot zone, Z-O-N-E. So I'll repeat that, www.thriveability.org. Thrive, as in the word thrive, and then ability, as in the word ability, or lowercase, dot zone. Tells you a little bit about what, what the foundation has been doing. Cool. Thank you. 
I want to thank our listeners for joining us on this Voice America show. We hope that you have found it useful and that each of you will find one item, one, two behaviors to test out as you go forward in the next few weeks to make your life, make your organizations more thrivable. I want to hear feedback on how you're applying these leadership ideas to your life. Email me at info at metcalf-associates.com and let us know what you think. We'll be happy to either um, post your comments on the blog and or on the next show. So in this time of change, focusing on continually building your leadership skills is critical to your organization and to the thrivability of our economy and our ecosystem going forward. So consider the impact innovative leaders have on the world. Imagine that what you are doing in improving yourselves and improving your organization will actually change those world conditions. Yes, what Robin's talking about is challenging, and yet it's critical. Today is your opportunity to consider his recommendations and implement them in your own lives. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.